Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I am your host, Damon Pistolka, and with me today, I am excited because we have Eric Sarver from the Sarver Law Firm, and we're going to be talking about employment law challenges for growing businesses. We're going to be talking a bit about some of the remote work challenges. Eric, thanks for being here today. Damon, always a pleasure. Great to be back. Thanks for having me on the show today. Yes, yes. You're a repeat offender and we like to have you back, man. It's always good. It's always good to uh, to catch up on the employment law and you're out there in New York doing doing it though mm-hmm. and in it every day. So yes. let's like we always do. You've been here before, but let's catch sure. people up that may not have heard. Let's let's hear about your background and kind of how you got into being an employment lawyer and doing what you're doing today. Yeah, sure thing, Damon. Well, again, good to be a repeat offender. Good to be back on the show. And for those that don't know me, um, a little bit of my background story. Best is just a very quick, you know, where I'm from, right? So I grew up in um, in Long Island, New York, Valley Stream, to, to be precise, and um, always kind of had an interest in being a lawyer. I can remember being like 11, 12, 13, watching TV shows about it, you know, watching Ellie Law, my dad, as a teenager. Um, and I just really enjoyed the storylines and all the drama. So I went I uh, went to college upstate in Binghamton, went to Hofstra Law School, and got really into like what it really means to be an attorney. So I, what I did was I um, worked at a couple of small firms out of law school for about two and a half years and decided I wanted to try it on my own. So I opened my law firm, which was formerly known as the Law Office of Eric M. Sarver, now it's Sarver Law Firm, PLC. And basically what I do, Damon, is you know, I channel some of that that interest in people, which I've always had, um, into helping them solve their employment and business law problems. So I do, for example, like employment litigation. I help, you know, businesses to defend against lawsuits in, in court or arbitration, or I help them with compliance or writing employee handbooks. And then lastly, I do business law. You know, I do a lot of, you know, your buy sells, your contracts, business formation. Um, really, I'd say it's in the business of just solving employers' problems and business owners' problems. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And you said you wanted to be a lawyer from a young age. So <laughs> I've got to ask a couple questions about that. Please. Let it, yeah, let me have it. <laughs> what was the hardest thing about becoming a lawyer that you didn't expect? Oh, that's a great question. Let's see. Well, you know, I would probably say like learning the business side of becoming a lawyer when I went out on my own. You know, when I went out on my own, it was 2001, it was a long time ago. I was a lot younger, I looked a lot younger, and I I knew the law, I knew what I learned in law school, and I knew how to mm-hmm. think analytically and, you know, strategically for my clients, but didn't know all the business that was involved. You know, the, the, the strategy, the marketing, the networking, which I've come to love as much as the practice itself. 
But I remember a quick funny story. You know, my very first, one of my very first um, clients I had, um, I just started my practice. I was about two months into it. And I had worked at places where you got a paycheck on Friday. So they hired me to do a bunch of work. It was a law firm, actually. I did the work for them and gave them the motion, what they wanted, the research and everything else, and gave an invoice. They said, great, we'll submit it net 30. And I said, great, wonderful. What does net 30 mean? You know, back in like way back. Yeah. So, you know, the little uh, inquiry. And, oh, wow, I'm getting paid in 30 days, you know. <laughs> um, so a lot to learn about that. But, you know, once you yeah. learn, like, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, I would not, I would not trade this hat or these many hats to be more of a mechanic, like to go into a place and do an house council work, you know, it's not anything wrong with it. It's just not, you know, I love this business part. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not, it's not for you. It's not for you. And that's cool. So second question. Okay. You're, you wanted to be a lawyer from a young age. Yep. What is so much different from when you, what you saw on TV that you just, you just go, they were fooling me. <laughs> This came up, um, my wife and I were watching a TV show the other night, and this came up. <clears throat> well, the <laughs> biggest thing that I'd say is different um, when I was younger, because don't forget, I do trial, I do mediation, I go to court, arbitrations, defending employers now from, you know, anything from breach of employment contract to wage and hour issues to overtime. What's different, Damon, is just how long things take, um, how long cases take to progress through the courts. You know, on TV shows, right, if they get a case, they meet the people, they, they're in trial next week, you know? Um, yeah. And that's one thing that's different. And then the second thing I think that's very different is that, like, don't get me wrong, it's exciting and it's interesting and it gets my adrenaline pumping, but the courtroom scenes, you know, with everyone shouting at each other, you know, the, you know, the sort of, I want the truth, you can handle the truth, Tom, yeah. men scenes, it just doesn't usually go down like that way, you know? Is this more of a calm, you know, just back and forth and it's just and sometimes it gets tense but it's not that high drama you know what i mean it's yeah. like a doctor who is an er doctor who watches like er or Grey's anatomy and says this is nice interesting but this is not what it's really like you know that would be the big difference i'd say that's the big difference yeah yeah that's awesome that's awesome i had to ask when you said you it, you wanted to be a lawyer since you were younger because i know that that tv portrays it a lot differently than than it is to to make the story seem you know more interesting and stuff but yeah so you know we talked a couple years ago a year ago something like that i can't mm -hmm. i should have looked yeah. at the date but i didn't but mm -hmm. yeah. you know a lot of things have changed a lot of things mm -hmm. change and and we're sitting here today with oh let's just let's just start we got a few more people that are working remote and remote could be not down the street. It could be in a lot of places, times in another state, another mm -hmm. country. Yeah. Sometimes for people. So there's some challenges there. Other thing, just reading something about the FTC and mm. if I read it right and non-competes yep. or something like that. Yep. I mean, so we got a lot of stuff to talk about here. We do, so, you know, you have a few hours, yeah. I guess, right? You got some yeah. dinner in the background there to eat, chop on while we're... <laughs> It is. It is. It's because I mean, yeah. So, and then, and then, not to mention transparency, uh, wage transparency yeah. laws. So, I, I, I want to start. I'm going to start with. I'm going to ask you a general question because that might help us. Okay. What is your most common call now? Call to action. What is someone calls you? You get ten calls. What's the the most common question you're getting today? Without a doubt, it's how to follow all the different 
um, paid sick leave and paid leave laws based on having remote workers. You know, clients have a business in New York, but now they're hiring remotely because they're growing, they're expanding, and they can do remote work. So they're hiring folks from, you know, Missouri and uh, Florida and California, right? So they're asking me which laws apply around maternity leave or paid sick leave or FMLA and state versions of that. So I'm getting a lot of questions these days, Damon, on compliance issues, right? And like you mentioned, the second one that's really big is salary transparency laws, right? You know, if you're a company in, let's say in Florida and you're hiring a remote worker in Colorado and you're advertising there, you have to list the minimum and maximum, the reasonable salary range for that position, whether it's external or internal related positions. So basically I'd say, short answer is a lot of calls around compliance. How do we follow all these new federal and state and city laws governing how we do business. Awesome. Yeah. Because my follow-up questions are going to be around those things. And, but I wanted to see, I wanted to see. So, yeah. Uh, first of all, let's talk about salary transparency laws. Yes. What, what is the, or I think I know, but what is the origination? Why did people want salary transparency laws? Do sure. you have an I do. It's a great question. Yeah. So, you know, the original, right, the motivation, the policy argument behind it is a pretty noble one. They want, you know, states where governments were concerned about pay inequities, right? That, you know, companies mm-hmm. say, you know, we're paying people that look like us, right? You know, like a white male yeah. more. And this is, you know, a true problem in society, right? And employers and employees paying more um, to men and not paying equitably for women, for people of color, for women of color. So they wanted to put an end to that. They thought if we can force companies to disclose how much they're paying, it'll give the people who work there a chance to see, hey, wait a second, they're, they're paying, you know, this yeah. much job and this new person. And I've been here 12 years and I'm an African-American woman and I'm making this little. So it was a way to help to root out discrimination. That was the origins of these laws. Yeah, that's what I thought. And, you know, and for me, honestly, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. I don't think I've ever worked at a place that paid men and women differently. It was position. Hmm. I think I thought back, thought bad about the, about this a lot. Yeah. And my wife has experience in larger companies and Mm -hmm. it was, it was prevalent Mm -hmm. in some of them and not in others. And I just think, I think if if that helps, it's a good thing because, Hey, a job is a job. It doesn't matter who's doing it. It's Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. the job is getting done, they should Mm -hmm. get paid. Yeah, equal pay, right. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So now you make a good point. I'm in myself. I'm in Washington State. Mm -hmm. I hire somebody that I'm trying to hire somebody in Colorado, like you said, or I don't Mm -hmm. even know if Colorado's got a transparency law, uh, wage transparency. So then if I'm hire, if I'm trying to hire there, do I have to follow their laws in my posting there? Because I'm even if I'm a Washington business hiring somebody in that state, or how does that work? It's a great question, right? So the states look to where the employees are who either are doing the job or could potentially do the job, right? So okay. you can be a, uh, a Washington-based company, right? Or even a Florida-based with 10,000, let's say, Floridians working for you in Florida. And if you're posting a job, let's say, that could be filled in Colorado, or you're posting, let's say, on, you know, like boards or that get a Colorado uh, 
Colorado can see, right? Yeah. Um, you've got to disclose in that state what the minimum maximum salary is, right? It's kind of mind blowing, but if you've got, you know, say like you're whether you're you're putting it on a job board that that you know is listed in that state, or maybe you're listing like in an advertisement, let's say in a an online you know uh, publication or advertisement. Yeah. List, yeah. So it's like they look to where two places. Where is the company doing business? If you're doing business in a state that has salary transparency laws in place, you've got to follow it. But if yeah. you're in another state, but you're hiring from that state where they have salary transparency laws, the state you hire in, you've got to follow the rule. You've got to stay where the salaries are. That's really interesting because what you said, and I'm going to see if I understood that right. Yeah. So I'm in a state that doesn't have a transparency law. I don't even know about Washington State, but I, I'm not for sure. Right. But, but if I'm saying I can take candidates nationwide mm -hmm. and I don't spe specify the state where I'm going to be hiring somebody, does that mean that I have to comply? I might as well comply with the wage transparency law because I'm I'm supposed to if mm -hmm. someone from Colorado sees that ad. Well, it's interesting. If you're very vague or rather not vague, but broad in terms of nationwide, right? But you're not targeting that one state. Yeah. You might be able to argue, right? Or you know, can argue that you don't have to follow that because you're you're putting it where other people like in the general ether, so to speak, of that. Yeah. But if you're targeting, let's say, people who work in that state, um, in New York, or let's say it's a job that's gonna be done remotely in Colorado, right? Let's say it's a job where yeah. You know, then you have to list it. I yeah. always say to my clients these days, Damon, you know, like err on the side of court caution. Yeah. Right? Because what is the cost to list the job? Not right. To state an extra line that says this yeah. exists. Right. You know, what, what is the actual cost and what do you risk if you run afoul of these laws? Like we employment lawyers you know, are still actually discerning some of the changes in these rules. We're getting a, a sense of which states have them. Like you mean, you know, Rhode Island, Colorado, New York. Uh, Washington State, I believe, does have it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but like also just, you know, where, what do you look to? So you look to, again, where is the employee, where is the job being done or can it be done, you know, remotely? A lot of companies will try to surpass the um, salary transparency law by saying, okay, we're hiring, but, you know, we're not going to have an office in the state. Don't come into the state. But if you're doing business and to say the person who's working from home lives in the state where the salary transparency law is, you have to list the minimum maximum salary. So yeah. I, I think the pushback I'll say though, you know, like from the other side, from the employers is that some were unclear. Um, a lot of companies, you know, they, some might, 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 might not give the best salary upfront, but they have other good perks. They want to, they have a great work-life balance. You know, they have great, let's say hours. And so they want to wait until the interview, right. You know, to tell the person like, look, you know, we offer, you know, 85,000 a year, let's say a salary that, um, maybe in this industry, people get an average of 110, 120. But we give summer Fridays, you can see your kids, you know, it's a life balance, great benefits. So they want to be able to uh, get people in the door to sell them on the job. And some of the concerns they have, I think, are that, you know, if it's just like people scrolling through job listings and they just see the salary, right, they just, they, they scroll on, they click on. And so like, so that's like, I'm hearing different sides of it. But, you know, to your point, if, what do you have to lose if you're not sure if a state's salary transparency law applies? List the salary. You know, as I tell my, you know, my clients, right? If they're unsure, if you're not sure, you know, which state's rules apply about, say, notice, for example, like notification of certain rights to remote workers. A lot of states make you have an electronic poster, right, that you send. Mm -hmm. to, you know, 
if you're not sure what your state requires, well, send the poster, you know, like make, send the mm-hmm. day they sell these electronic versions, PDF versions. Yeah. And I'm talking about posters that, that have all the different employees' rights and, um, you know, obligations and rights listed on them, workers' compensation, yeah. overtime and the like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great to know because I think that, um, like you said, it can be it can be a, a uh, it's good thing in some respects because then we all know what it is. But it, mm-hmm. it would be challenging for someone that does really offer a different kind of work atmosphere and and work life balance that may pay a little bit differently. You know, mm-hmm. it could because mm-hmm. you th- you think about even the difference between a private sector job and a and a government sector job. You know, a mm-hmm. government sector job may not pay as much, but they got a nice retirement. They got, you know, benefits or whatever the heck else it's that makes it worthwhile. And it would, would make it difficult because of specifically what you said. We're mm-hmm. so trained now by Amazon and everything else to roll down the screen and, uh-huh. and you know, find the lowest price or the best price, you know, or the highest in that. And some yeah, might even, yeah, that. some people might even set their, you know, search terms uh, for a position. Yeah. Um, with a minimum with a minimum salary, and so they're going to roll away past those. So the company yeah. has their work cut out for them then to to really advertise and promote what else they offer, like in the job posting, perhaps you know, to make that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So, wow. And you know, with the amount of remote work that's going on now compared to five or six years ago, it's mm-hmm. it's you know because it was a little bit, but not anything like it is now. What are some of the, and we'll talk about paid and unpaid, you know, but what yeah. are some of the real consequences if somebody screws up on, on this wage transparency? Has anybody, I mean, anybody gone, got fined for it? Anybody, I mean, are, have you heard of any of that kind of stuff? What, what's it really? Yeah. So, you know, each state has their own like fines and penalties involved, you yeah. know, like for how many, let's say, you know, for each uh, job posted. Right. And, okay. for, you know, once they get caught, let's say they have a chance to cure most states, most states will, you know, Damon will give the employer like one shot to fix it. Right. To remedy the yeah, problem. Okay. Say, hey, you know, you didn't post this. It's required. So they'll give them an opportunity to say, OK, we're going to go back. We're going to amend that um, job, you know, that job posting and list the, the salary. But the penalties, you know, they could be like, you know, a few hundred, five hundred dollars, you know, for the first one or a thousand dollars, but then they grow as the where yeah. it continues. You know, a couple of companies that know got dinged with a warning because they put like, you know, minimum salary, you know, like ten thousand, maximum salary, four hundred thousand. So it's not an actual realistic range. They said, Well, you know, the lowest paid person in our company <laughs> gets yeah. ten thousand as a part time income. And the highest paper, I think, is four hundred thousand. So that's a reasonable range. So the the law is a little more specific, like you know, almost like a common sense definition of reasonable. But that was yeah. an example from companies getting dinged. I think you know, I think um, it was either Google, Google or Uber. Um, you know, a lot of big companies they are arrogant. They don't want to be you know beholden to these yeah. laws. You know, so yeah. I would say there are penalties though to keep in mind. So you know, so employers should take it seriously. Um, and then there are just so many other issues that come up within a hybrid workforce, like. Even the day-to-day logistics of like, you know, workplace equipment and home equipment and workers' compensation rules that apply. I mean, I could talk a little bit about that if you'd like, unless you Yeah, know. yeah, it is because I actually had somebody that, that does a lot of workplace safety, ergonomic work that was talking about this years ago about how it was going to change with remote work. So go ahead. Go ahead. Sure, sure. Well, you know, first off, like I think one thing that comes up for me that I see a lot is companies um with 
you know, work with remote workers now. And they're, one of the things they say is we're going to save money on commercial office space. Now, that's true. No more office. Yeah. Yeah. They say we'll save money on, you know, uh, say transportation for some of our employees yep. and reimbursement. That's true. If it's re- uh, travel within the course of the job. And they say, and we'll save money on workers' compensation. I say, well, that, wait a second, hold on. Right. You know, because, you know, if you have employees, right, in, in uh, you know, in the states, the way the state laws, you have to have workers' compensation insurance. Now, you know, remote workers, like if they're independent contractors, don't have to cover them. Right. Or if they're mm-hmm. owners in a company and they're working like an LLC and they're members and, you know, each giving work. Um, but when you have employees who are remote, here's the thing. If you are requiring, right, mandating them to work remotely from home, you're basically setting up a de facto office for them. So you do have to have workers' compensation coverage. And companies have to realize that they can and will be, um, you know, charged. They might be subject to a workers' compensation claim for someone who gets hurt at home. And it becomes very tricky because, you know, like somebody falls, twists their ankle, on the job, some sort of banana peel, you know, by their cubicle desk. It's very clear cut injury happened on the job. Yeah. Whether they were on, you know, their lunch break or not, or someone else that's say, you know, who does a more menial, a more manual job, you know, um, is, you know, say at the, you know, at the stove, like, you know, cutting, chopping uh, in the restaurant and they burn themselves, they cut their finger, that's an on the job course of duties. But yeah. what happens, like we had, a, you know, a case recently in New York where, uh, you know, it, it was a case went to the appellate court where somebody, ordered an ergonomic chair, funny you mentioned ergonomics, and it came in the mail, Amazon package, great. And they were carrying it up the stairs from their basement, you know, uh, door entrance to their home up to their home office, tripped, fell on the stairs and broke their ankle, got in serious and broke some bones and injured. So, you know, the company fought it and said, wait a second, you were carrying a chair up the stairs. You weren't doing any of our work for us when you got hurt. You know, you were, but it was, it was during working hours and it was in furtherance of the course of his duties. Like the company didn't come in and install, you know, an ergonomic chair and he didn't want to work from his couch. So, so the courts kind of held that, you know, uh, first it was denied the claim, then it was appealed then it was, it went back and forth. I'll spare you all the details. Yeah. The appellate version was remanded back to workers' comp and say, no, you've got to, you know, give this person a workers' compensation claim coverage. So, um, so we have stories like that, you know, people on a lunch break and then they go up to answer their phone. And they trip and fall on their carpet, but they're talking to a customer. You know, is that a work? Is that covered by workers' comp? Is it the course of duties? You know, they want a break, but then the phone rang. It was a client, so they went to answer it. Um, so we see a lot of issues about yeah you know, in the changing workforce. Like, yeah, it's so different. You know, we're on a screen. We're we you know we're we're zooming in and out. You know, five years ago, a lot of people didn't know what Zoom was. You know, and yeah. now it's like second nature. But you know. Workers' comp is a big issue, and so is like office equipment. You know what happens if you send your employee uh, a laptop, company issued laptop, you know, and you fire them. I mean, if you fire someone and they're working in your office on Madison Avenue, they usually leave everything at the in the office. Yeah, right? yeah. But if you mail it to them in, you know, let's say Alabama, and you're in New York, and you're saying, "Please mail this back to us," a lot of workers say, "No, I'm not going to do that." You know, I just got a free laptop. Let them come after me. Um, and there are ways to protect that that I can get into. There are different ways I advise companies what to do with the law allows, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's cool because I that that's a huge problem I know with with mm-hmm. a lot of people because you are you're sending off you're sending mm-hmm. off thousand dollars worth of equipment to a yeah. to a remote employee and if they don't work out, what do you do then? You know, and the answer to that question varies from state to state. Some states say that you're allowed as an employer, as a company, to deduct it from the last paycheck, as long as that doesn't leave them with a, 
a net that's lower than the minimum wage, right? Yeah. So if they work 40 hours, you know, for you and they're an hourly worker and you deducted a thousand bucks from their paycheck for the laptop and left left with 1100 or $150 left or $200 left, that's going to be a problem. But if yeah. you deduct something that still keeps the minimum wage, some states allow it. Some states say okay. you can deduct. Some states say, no, you can't deduct from the last paycheck. Yeah. You can have a deposit up front that you deduct from, or you can sue them in civil court. And, yeah. you know, a lot of companies say, well, you know, am I going to go to, you know, Florida civil court, just where this person lives, you know? And I yeah. say for your contract state that you can, you know, sue them in, you know, in the state you're in, or make sure you have a deposit up front if you're allowed to do that. So look at your state law and, you know, talk to your employment, yeah. you know? I mean, you know, it's like the job is not to know and memorize every state's laws because you'd just be, it'd be mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, yeah. you know, like, I hear an issue. Like, you're an employer, you're a business owner, you know, you've got remote workers, you're monitoring their social media use. What do you need to know? You know, you're giving them equipment and is that okay? What do you need to know? And it's like, that's where I come in. You know, I help with the compliance and I defend from lawsuits that happen. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good <laughs> stuff. Because that's office equipment is huge, you know, and, and like you said, just getting it back if something didn't work out. So the other thing you mentioned, which I love that we're going to get it talked about a little bit, is paid and unpaid leave or sick leave or whatever you want to call it. Right. Now, let's talk about that a little bit and how that's kind of changed the game and what we're doing. Sure. Well, you know, the federal government has this clear unpaid FMLA is 30 years old now. The FMLA, the family mm-hmm. leave, right? Up to 12 weeks. You're like unpaid leave. Your job is protected. They can't be fired from when you return. You have to be offered the same job or a comparable position if there's a legitimate business reason not to give it to you. But, you know, that's the, that's for companies of a certain size, certain number of yep. employees who work a certain number of hours, 50 or more, 1,250 mm-hmm. hours in the year, et cetera. Um, but a lot of states have paid family leave acts, right? Basically to say that, you know, if you need time off to care for a, a loved one uh usually it's a close family member it's a spouse mm-hmm. the partner now we're seeing um you know a child god forbid um a, a parent you know a, a brother or sister mm-hmm. and you need to care for them for a serious illness or in some states to protect them from domestic violence and stalking issues right they need your support okay. um then which i think is a good rule quite good idea yeah. Right, you get paid leave to take care of them, and so some states say two thirds of your salary paid leave for twelve weeks. Some states give eight weeks. Some states give sixty percent paid. But a lot of states are giving some states are giving full paid leave. You know, for that. So like, look to like New Jersey and New York, and so people are taking paid leave on two bases. One basis is to care for a loved one who's sick. That's kind of like the equivalent of the FMLA. The other is to care for themselves when they get sick, and that's kind of like the short term and long-term disability laws in different states. So, you know, when you're in a remote workforce, a lot of my clients ask me, well, Eric, you know, which which, which company or rather which uh, state's laws apply to my company? And it has to do with, you know, where the employee lives, where they reside, you know, um, how often they live in that state. I've had clients, like a story where a client had an employee in Florida and the employee moved to New Jersey and mentioned it to HR, but then HR didn't mention anybody else. So, you know, yeah. the charge didn't know that this person was now living in New Jersey. So they went to take off and the person said, okay, I know Florida law, you know, you don't get any maternity leave because, you know, they don't have to pay for it. Um, but because they live in New Jersey now, you know, they had to mark for that 12 weeks. Yeah. So there yeah. are laws around, you know, pregnancy and paternity um, and they're expanding in the, the people they cover and how much is paid. So, you mm-hmm. know, they need to know 
all about those laws, right? Sick pay, yeah. leave, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's a great point because those, those kind of, I mean, you just think of that change right there that you talked about. I'm not, I'm not considering that in that person's wage or accruing for it on the back end, whatever you're supposed to be doing accounting wise for that. Right. And, and then they come out and all of a sudden I've got to pay eight or 12 weeks, whatever their state law is mm-hmm. leave now that I wasn't planning on that. I didn't think I had to. Right. Damon. And keep in mind that, you know, for a larger company that might not be a big deal, you know, but if you're not a Walmart or, you know, a yeah. seven, you know, a restaurant chain franchise, um, then you're a small, I have a client that has, you know, uh, six employees. So yeah. you know, they're covered by um, New York State by various laws around paid leave. And, you know, this very pregnancy issue, maternity issue came up where, you know, now that the person was living in New Jersey, um, she had to pay them. And so what am I going to do? I didn't, I, you know, she was barely making ends meet with her business was slow, you know, but you have to pay it. Now, most, most employers though do get insurance, right. To pay for people's paid leave and paid time off, you know, mm-hmm. so like insurance will pay for like disability, you know, paid leave. So it's important. I think if you're a business owner to look into that insurance, you know, talk yeah. to your insurance broker like, and including EPLI insurance, which is employer professional liability insurance, right. You know, that if you're going to get sued, you to call me up and say, Eric, um, this person wrote a demand letter from their attorneys. They're claiming that we discriminated against them. You know, we swear we didn't. We fired them for this reason, but they happen to be subject to this situation. They they drew into conclusions. Um, maybe we're being sued in court. What do we do? And you know, it can cost, as we know, I mean, a trial can cost six figures, right? In legal fees. Oh yeah, yeah. Easy. Even just going through the settlement can cost tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. A lot of companies are faced with this dilemma of like, you know, even if they say, Eric, I know this person was not being truthful. Or I know that there was something here, but they got a new job, you know, two weeks later, paying more money. And in terms of emotional stress, they're claiming, you know, $800,000 and I just don't see it, right? You know, I see a social media feed. I don't see them, you know, refraining from their day-to-day activities. Um, what do we do here? And sometimes they say, you know, like, it's going to cost us more to litigate than to pay the person. So yeah. prime employment liability insurance, it pays attorney's fees, it pays costs, and you could actually really choose more wisely if you want to fight uh, a matter or not that you feel is just not accurate or right. Yeah. I'm writing that down. Employment <laughs> liability insurance. That's something that, uh, yeah, that's a wise investment for people that have a lot of employees. That's for sure. It is. I talked to one thing about my colleague, you know, Aaron Levine, you know, he's um, in the insurance industry. He talks about this, you know, yes. the importance of it because like all insurance, you know, if you, you never really think you need it, going to need it, you know, you think, you know, oh, I'm, I'm really good to my employees and we all get along well and we're a family business here and we've never yeah. had a problem before. But, you know, sometimes you're lucky and you're right, but it's like all insurance. You know, you get home insurance, home insurance, you get flood and fire insurance, you get car insurance because, you know, if you do get into a car accident, you want to, want to be protected. You yeah. know, I like to think, Damon, of my compliance work as a type of insurance policy in and of itself. Um, it's not actual insurance. You know, you're not signing on the line and getting yeah. premium to me. But, you know, when you pay me to do compliance, I am helping to assess, <clears throat> pardon me, where your risks are for liability. And then we'll plug up those holes. You know, we'll make sure you're following the Department of Labor laws and regulations and you're, you know, you're posting your internships correctly and you're, you know, you're following the law and you're learning how to communicate with your employees when they have complaints and do investigations properly. And that can really reduce the chances of a lawsuit or a yeah. penalty fine. You know. 
Oh yeah, it takes your chances down significantly, significantly. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. Really so we we had one other thing that that we that you'd brought up when we were talking before was mm-hmm. um, non competes. Oh yeah. Non competes. <laughs> non competes. So been some changes in non competes. What the first of all, let's explain the the landscape of non competes right now. Yeah. I would say that like going the way of the dodo bird, they're kind of on the way to extinction, you know, to be honest with you. Oh, really? Yeah. You know what it is? Like, so you've got the non-competes being attacked from three, three areas, right? From the legislature, a lot of states now are passing laws, either A, completely banning non-competes. New York has a bill that passes on, you know, the governor's desk, waiting to see if if she signs it, um, that will ban non-competes going forward, including like not even having business exceptions for partners and so forth or high-end executives. Other states have a partial ban. They say, look, if you're, you know, a salaried executive making like this much money per year in salary and this type of position, then you can be held to a non-compete, right? Not economic duress. But if you're making $50,000 a year as a low-level employee and you can't compete for six months and you get fired, you know, I, I see the point. Like you're kind of, you know, you're really stuck. You can't, you can't work, can't feed your family. If you only you know is, you know, uh, technology sales and you're banned from yeah. working in technology sales. So there are laws in the state that are c- cracking down. And number one, number two, um, a lot of government regulatory agencies and government agencies are weighing in on this topic. So you mentioned the FTC, they're challenging it as unfair restriction on, you know, trade and, and, and fair trade practices, right? Um, you also got issues of it's violate the commerce clause, you know, you've got the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, their council recently issued a, a ruling decision saying, hey, we think this actually violates the National Labor Relations Act. Why? Because if employees are, you know, afraid that if they get fired, they'll be bound to non-compete, they can't work elsewhere, they're going to be too fearful to speak up about unfair labor practices and violations of labor law and safety issues because, you know, they're afraid, like, if I get fired, I can't work anywhere else for a year. So it's an interesting interpretation. So you got the, and then the third thing you've got are the court striking them down. The court saying, you know, when I first started practicing, I did a non-compete case in 2000, um, a company trying to enforce it. And I never forget, it was like, it was a three-year non-compete um, for like a certain geographic area, you know, because it was the year 2000. So yeah, more like, you know, a hundred mile radius. People drove around mm-hmm. to sell items. It was less like, yeah. you know, let's get on Zoom, right? You know, um, so, and and I remember all the case law talking about a two-year, two-and-a-half-year restriction rate and how that changed over the years to 12 months, 18 months, 12 months, to if it's more than six months, it won't be enforced. But, you know, I think what's coming up is that a lot of people and a lot of companies need to look at those two laws because, as we pointed out earlier, you're a growing business, you're growing, you're hiring more people, hiring more executives, and maybe you're hiring in a state where non-competes are banned. You know, you hire someone in California, look at your employment agreement. If you're using an old template, Damon, from, you know, 2020 and it has a non-compete clause, you might as well just cross it out because it's not, it's null and void. So mm-hmm. they're really, you know, but there are the good news is there are other ways that I help my clients to protect their, you know, from the competition. They say, Eric, what do I do? You know, how do I, you know, stop the chief of marketing from taking the secret sauce and, and going to the, the competition? And there are ways to protect like proprietary information and trade secrets. So I, I rewrite a lot of those employment contracts and agreements and offer letters to further protect the company from those type of, you know, uh, unlawful or not unlawful rather, but let's say 
non there's those competing employees that are going to go to the competition and try and take trade secrets with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, like you said, it's coming from three different sides now. Mm -hmm. Courts, and, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and the non competes. You can see why some of them are, are, are why they're um, important in some cases, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm if I'm the brains behind something and I leave and it's a key piece of technology or something, and I'm going to another company. I mean, that's a, it kind of stinks if you couldn't protect that, but you can protect the technology itself, I guess. And and then at least you're protected against what's current, but, right. um, you know, and, and then you hear horror stories too about, I know someone personally that they were in one of those non-competes that was, yeah, that was, more like what you're talking about where that should have been an exception right you mm -hmm. i've always been i grew up in in, in knowing about non-competes in washington state basically mm -hmm. and here it's pretty much been drilled into my head that if you had a non-compete you might as well pay them through the term of the non-compete because it's not going to get enforced if you don't do that right, right. and right. that's how we got around it all the time is we just said listen if we're going to pay you like you're working but that's right. non-compete there's no way to rest then you're not suffering you're getting paid if you didn't come without even coming to work right exactly. yep yep and, and that's just the price we paid for doing them but i actually know someone that that it happened the other way where they they actually uh left and and it was even loose the kind of industry they went into was loosely mm -hmm. competitive and they had to go to court to get out of the non-compete because oh, yeah. they were trying to enforce it so and definitely happens both ways Damon. yeah and you know there's other reasons that people complain people say listen i may be getting paid but i'm losing opportunities you know i just heard about a great position with a competing company and it's an opening and the opening is not going to last until my non-compete runs out nine months yeah you know i can't come back and you know may of 2024 and say okay my non-competes finished now i'm ready to, to start work and they've already hired someone so yeah but it's you know a lot of employment law like you've got, you know, different extremes. Like, you know, you've got, you know, states that don't have really uh, hardly do anything for uh, paid leave or sick leave and the workers suffer. You've got paid states that then impose on companies very high demands. And yeah. then the, like the smaller companies profit margins suffer. I often wonder mm -hmm. and talk to my clients, like, should they be as almost like a sliding scale approach? You know, like say, well, you know, if you're going to raise minimum wage, great. If you're going to have overtime prevailing wage, terrific. But should there be some kind of sliding scale? So, you know, now if you're, let's say, saying like a company has to have, you know, 20 paid sick days and an extra higher minimum wage and all these other, you know, things to take care of, should there then be consideration for companies that they can show economic hardship, right? Because not every business, as we said, is big business, right? Not every yeah. company. And those are the ones that get in the news. Look at Amazon. They're really treating their workers terribly. And Amazon can afford and should be paying a higher... Yeah. You know, so it's interesting. It's something I come across to my clients. How do I help them, you know, follow the law and protect the bottom line? And I've I've tried to really focus on that, you know, with litigation defense, with drafting employment contracts, with, you know, drafting like shareholder agreements. And how do I help my clients follow the law without going broke in doing so? And that's really yeah. the challenge. That I love that. How do I help my clients follow the law without going broke? <laughs> That's like a catchphrase or a slogan or something on my on my website, you know, because yeah. it's really something, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and Eric, it is always great to catch up with you because it's you're in this all the time and you stay so current with it. And you you've also and I don't want to get out of here without talking about it. you've got you're the host of Employment Law Today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be coming back out with your undertaking a hiatus for the summer. You've got a lot of things mm-hmm. going on, family, business, other stuff. But you're going to come back later this fall with it. Yeah. Um, what what are you excited for coming into the future? Between that, you're you're getting getting things going. What's happening? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, on the personal front, my son is turning four in August. You know, it's amazing. Yes. I can't believe he's you know getting so big already. And we've got a vacation coming up. My wife and I and son two week vacation. Um, and then uh, we're, we bought a house, a uh, new house, so we're looking to move into that. You know, nice nice beautiful space. And it's been I told you earlier before we started a roller coaster of just, you know, the, the seller's market. Um, yes. Also looking forward to, you know, some new client matters. You know, I've got some some litigation, some employment litigation defense. Um, I've got a commercial litigation case where the judge should be deciding on my motion to dismiss, hopefully grants it. Um, and just, you know, a lot of like summer things to do. I did hope for a little more downtime this summer because every summer flies by and I get, I, I get to the beach three times. I said, I'm going to the beach next summer. But then now with the house and the moving and, you know, all blessings, all gifts. I'm grateful for all of it. Yeah. No complaints. You know, but um, I'm looking forward to uh, the new work, what the new, you know, year holds, you know, and just time with my family on vacation and just all that good stuff. Uh, how about awesome. you? Any, any stuff you're looking forward to as the uh, summer goes, as the year goes on? We roll into the second. I, I just take every day. Every day, you know, at this time of year in the Northwest, it doesn't get too hot. It oh, doesn't rain. You know, today we're at about 74 degrees and the sun is blaring and it's just bright blue sky. So I just I just cherish the summer days and, and uh, plenty of time with family and friends. And it's just been a great summer so far. And the, the year is year is shaping up nicely, shaping up yes. nicely. So, um but Eric, what is, there's one question. I mean, we're, we're, we're right at time. I want to ask you one question quickly though, before we jump off, what is the thing that you're looking at now as the next future concern for businesses and employment law In employment law? Right. And, you know, I really think the non-compete issue is going to become the really next continue to be the, the biggest, big one, right? People do business. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, that as more and more companies become remote, we're going to see more issues of, you know, which state's laws govern for like discrimination suits and, you know, for issues like that come up when you have traveling employees, you know, who might live in multiple states that might reside, they might be bi-coastal. They might say, I live in in New York. I'm really seeing like the remote hybrid workforce as a change in the future in employment law. It's just going to change the whole landscape. You know, employees have to know, all the laws now from various states employee handbooks are now becoming like this like a bible you know really thick yeah so yeah. i think is the big you know issue it's the, the hybrid workforce yeah there we go yeah. there we go well thanks so much i mean we were talking about employment law challenges today and growing businesses with eric sarver sarver law firm out of new york Eric, thanks so much for being here but first of all how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you is it linkedin where is the best place to get all of you? Yeah, great question, David. I'd say three places, right? I'm very, 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 um, uh, very into LinkedIn. I'm very like big on. I'm posting there a lot. So certainly LinkedIn. You can just type in my name www. 
ericsarver.com, E-R-I-C-S-A-R-V-E-R.com. That's my LinkedIn profile. For for my website, you can also catch me at www. Dot, excuse me, dot sarver, S-A-R-V-E-R, dash law.com. And then the best way to reach me really is just, you know, give me a call. My direct line I like to use is call me at 917-930-8684 or email me at ems at sarverlawfirm.com. And that's how you can reach me. Happy to answer your questions, have a brief free call, schedule a consult, you know, go the distance, whatever your employment law issues and business law issues might be. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here today. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate you and your show. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. I want to also thank Michelle. Thanks for Michelle for being here today. I know you're listening from the car. Um, Anybody else that was listening and commenting, hey, thanks for being here. If you didn't go back to the beginning, if you didn't hear it all, go back to the beginning because Eric covered some really interesting things about salary transparency, paid and unpaid leave, uh, workers' confidence, compensation in the home office. Lots of good stuff in here. So just go back and listen to that. Thanks so much. And we will be back again next week with another guest. Hang out for a moment, Eric. We'll wrap up.